And as Stan Campbell would say, I'll say it backwards. Wow. Uh, love. So, what do most people think of when they think of love? Here are some definitions of the word love. To feel affection for, to adore, to worship, to be in love with, to be devoted to, to care for, to find irresistible, to be keen on, and to be fond of. Even the songs of yesterday and today define love this way in their titles. You always hurt the one you love. Love is a many, splendid thing. Can't buy me love. All you need is love. Love will keep us together. What's love got to do with it? I will always love you, and so on. A husband asked his wife, Tell me, dear, have you ever been in love before? She thought for a moment, and she replied, No, darling. I once respected a man for his great intelligence. I admired another for his remarkable courage. I was captivated by yet another for his good looks and charm. But with you, well, how else could you explain it but love? (laughs) These days, love is such an elastic word. We stretch it to cover so many meanings. People move from talking about their love for ice cream to their love to a particular performer to their style of music to their love for Mary, Frank, or Sheila. People get out of a relationship because they're not getting out of, enough out of the relationship. And as with ice cream or music, their love is based on what they've been receiving from the other person. But God's love is described as agape. James Packer writes, the Greek word agape, love, seems to have been seems to have been virtually a Christian invention, a new word for a new thing. Apart from about 20 occurrences in the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's almost non-existent before the New Testament. And agape draws its meaning directly from the revelation of God in Christ. It's not a form of natural affection, but of supernatural fruit of the Spirit as in Galatians 5.22. It's a matter of will rather than of feeling. For Christians must love even those they dislike. Matthew 5.44-48. It's the basic element in Christ-likeness. As we continue in the Belief series, let's do a quick review. The first section of our series was Think, which detailed the core belief of the Christian life and answered the question, what do I believe? The second section we studied was entitled Act, which discussed the core practices of the Christian life and answered the question, what should I do? In our final section, titled B, which we are beginning today, it contains the core virtues of the Christian life and answers the question, who am I becoming? If we believe God's word, then we should act like we believe God's word. And in our belief, our goal is to be more like Jesus. 
Our topic today, as we continue in the belief series, is love. And as anyone who might, who knows me might argue, that I'm probably the last one to be speaking on this subject. That's me. An example of this is 33 years, 32 years ago. One day I was preoccupied with writing a sermon for one of the Sundays I was asked to speak on at the church I attended then. Our daughter Caroline, who was only three years old, persistently kept bugging me while I was trying and preparing for this, trying to write and prepare for this talk. Daddy, let's play. Daddy, what you doing? Daddy, chase me. Daddy, tag, you're it. Well, that was it. I had it. Enough. I turned to her with rage in my voice and I shouted, Caroline, leave me alone. Can't you see I'm writing a sermon on love? (laughs) And those words stopped me right in my tracks. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit and apart from me you can do nothing. The key idea of this chapter of the book, Believe, is I am committed to loving God and to loving others. Becoming like Christ is a journey. We can't do it on our own. We need to abide in Christ and let him work in our lives. We need the gardener to do his work in us so that we will grow and develop into the person that he wants us to be. In the key verse of, of uh, in the key verse, chapter 1, John chapter 4, verses 10, God's word tells us, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. The most important expression of being like Jesus is love. Throughout Scripture, God's love dominates. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames <clears throat> but have not love, I gain nothing. Then Paul goes on to tell us what love is and what love isn't. And he ends by saying, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul writes that the positive characteristics of love are love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Love rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And love always perseveres. Paul also states that love does not have these characteristics. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. 
Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no records of wrongs. And love does not delight in evil. And love never fails. So which side of the chart do you see our Lord Jesus? And being very honest, which side of the chart are you on? Perhaps we can see parts of us on both sides of the chart. So which ones do we have to surrender to the gardener and let him do his work in us? In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find find out one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. And C.S. Lewis also wrote, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries, and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell. There's a Sunday school ministry in a part of New York City that has been called the most likely place to get killed. Pastor Bill Wilson has been stabbed twice, shot at, and he's had a member of his team uh, killed. One Puerto Rican lady, after getting saved in church, came to him with an urgent request. She didn't speak a word of English, so she told him through an interpreter, I want to do something for God. Please. I don't know what you can do, he answered. Please, let me do something. She said in Spanish, okay, I'll put you on a bus, ride a different bus every week and just love the kids. So every week she rode a different bus and there are 50 of them and she loved the children. She would find the worst looking kid on the bus, put him on her lap and whisper over and over again, I love you and Jesus loves you. After several months, she became attached to one little boy in particular. I don't want to change buses anymore. I want to stay on this one bus, she said. The boy didn't speak. He came to Sunday school every week with his sister-in-law and sat on her lap, but he never made a sound. Each week, she would tell him all the way to Sunday school and all the way home, I love you, and Jesus loves you. One day, to her amazement, the little boy turned around and he stammered, I I love you too. And he gave her a great big hug. That was 2.30 on a Sunday afternoon. At 6.30 that night, the boy was found dead in a garbage bag under a fire escape. His mother had beaten him to death 
and thrown his body in the trash. I love you, and Jesus loves you. Those were some of the last words in his short life that he probably heard from the lips of a Puerto Rican lady who couldn't, who could barely speak English. So who among us is qualified to minister? Who among us even knows what to do? This woman who couldn't speak English did, and so can we if we abide in Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remained in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is the command of God, that we love each other. It's not a request. It's not a suggestion. It's the command of God. And Jesus says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. But knowing what to do and doing it is different from wanting to do it with all of your heart. Wanting to show the love of Jesus, the love that Jesus has shown to every one of us here. Mark 12, 28 to 34, we read, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the one which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. This teacher of the law had declared that outward obedience amounted to nothing unless the heart was right. Phariseeism consisted of forms and paid little attention to love, mercy, and purity of heart. This man had hold of that principle in which the law and the gospel are one. He stood, as it were, at the kingdom, at the door of the kingdom of God. The Lord shows us here that even outside of his flock, those who can answer discreetly, who have knowledge of the spirit of the great command of law and gospel, are nearer to being in his flock than the religious. You are not far from the kingdom of God, Jesus told this teacher of the law. There are many non-believers who are not far from the kingdom of God. They believe in helping others, the underprivileged, the poor, the downtrodden. They are not far from the kingdom of God. But close only counts in horseshoes. If one is not far from the kingdom of God, one is still not close enough to be in heaven or to be a child of heaven. If you're not far off, then enter. Otherwise, it would be better that you were far off. Scripture makes it abundantly clear in John 3:16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And that name is Jesus. So our works and our hearts may lead us in the right direction, but only belief in Jesus actually gets us into heaven. Only accepting his death on the cross is payment for our sins. Only accepting Jesus as our sacrifice, only accepting Jesus as our salvation, gives us eternal life and a guarantee of heaven. And only belief in Jesus gives us the right heart, a heart that is yearning to be more like him. Jesus received the love of the Father and he passed it on to us. And it is God that gives us the capacity to love others. The presence of God's Spirit in us, working through us to overcome our passion for self, is confirmation that we are, in fact, children of God. John writes in 1 John 3.16, This is how we know what love is. 
Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And knowing this and being reminded of this warms us up. We're warmed up by this love, the fact that he came to save us. He showed his love for us in his humble birth, in his perfect life, in his awful suffering, in his bitter tears, in his shed blood, and in his innocent death. He reminded us of that love again when he rose from the dead. Then he proved to us that his love is all that we need. The Beatles sort of had it right when they sang, All You Need Is Love. But they had it wrong when they insinuated in their song that you could have this love without Jesus. Jesus now warms us with that love every time we're around his word. Every time we recall what he did for us. He drives the coal from our hearts and he fills them with love. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we remember his body and blood given and shed for us. Our hearts are warmed and filled with love again and again. Then with hearts warmed by, the, by, by that love, we are people who are no longer concerned about ourselves, but people who want to bring glory to God, who want to show that wonderful love of God to everyone that we meet. And this love totally affects who we are. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting love. John 3:16. If a little child asks his or her mother and fa- or father, how much do you love me? The parent sometimes responds by extending both arms and strutting them out as far as possible, saying this much, followed by a hug and a kiss. But when we, as a lost race of sinners, ask God how much he loves us, He points to Jesus dying on the cross, and he says this much. The gift of Christ reveals the Father's heart. It testifies that having undertaken our redemption, he will spare nothing, however dear, which is necessary for the completion of the work. No matter how much education we have or how much theology we've studied, no matter what we've been told in the past, or what some religion may be telling us now, there are four simple questions that we can ask which will tell us what God is really like. And all four questions can be answered by knowing John 3.16. How does God feel about me? He loves me. How has he shown his love? By sending his son to die for me. What does he want me to do? He wants me to believe on him. What will God bring to my life when I respond to his love? Life that never ends. 1 John 4, 7 and 21 says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us 
and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us because God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And in Matthew 5, 43 to 48, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who only love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans or non-believers do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's a modern-day example of Jesus' words. If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the non-believers do that? There's a Mennonite community in Altona, Manitoba, population 4,500. Over the past 10 years, this Mennonite community has sponsored and welcomed 45 Muslim refugee families into their community of Altona. Christians saving Muslims from persecution or perhaps death. Christians giving their time and money to save others, not because they're Christian brothers and sisters, but because they are brothers and sisters. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, whoever you did, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. Randy Friese writes in our textbook, Believe, love is the ultimate expression of becoming like Jesus. God the Father desires us to unconditionally and sacrificially love others. Biblical love is defined in 1 Corinthians 13 and declared in the Great Commission commandment in Mark 12. To love God and love our neighbor is the standard of God, which on our own we cannot achieve. But in Christ, a new command is issued. God pours his presence and love within us first. Then as we receive it, we let his love pass through us to others. And no one models it better than Jesus himself. With God's love and presence in us, we can become more and more like Jesus. Loving the unlovable. Can we actually love others without experiencing the love of God? 
I'd like us to honestly think of something right now. Because no one knows yourself better than you do. Only you know your secret thoughts. So only you would know this. Think of where you would be and what you would be doing right now if you had not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's for me, I'll take it. Where would you be right now? And what would you be doing right now if you didn't believe in the God of the Bible? That's a scary thought, isn't it? And that's why we should never judge. For when we judge, does it not make ourselves or others think that we feel superior? In our study guide on page 168, there's a really good question that we have to seriously think about. And that question is this. Throughout Scripture, love is described as an identifying quality that proves we belong to God. If this is true, why are, so, why are Christians so frequently described by outsiders as hypocritical and judgmental? In other words, why do some Christians find it more easily, easy to judge judge others and their actions than to love the person the way Christ loves us? Were we saved because of good works? Weren't we saved by grace? There are words that we should always, always be on our mind in situations where we find ourselves wanting to judge others. And those words are this. There but for the grace of God go I. The story behind this that was widely circulated is that it was first spoken by evangelical preacher and martyr John Bradford in the 1500s. He is said to have uttered the variant of this expression, there but for the grace of God goes John Bradford when seeing criminals being led to the scaffold. But he didn't enjoy that grace for too long. He was burnt at the stake in 1555. Yet by all accounts, he remained confident about his fate and he, and he, he is said to have suggested to a fellow victim that we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. I don't care who the person is or what the person has done or if we find that person unlovable. We should always remember that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you and for that person. If Jesus loved that person so much that it was worth dying on the cross for and taking the sins of the world upon himself, then who am I, who are you, to love that person any less? Wes Seeliger writes, I have spent long hours in the intensive care waiting room, watching with anguished people, listening to urgent requests. Will my husband make it? Will my child walk again? How do you live without your companion of 30 years? The intensive care waiting room is different from any other place in the world. And the people who wait there are different. They can't do enough for each other. No one is rude. The distinction of race and class melt away. A person is a father first and a black man second. And the garbage man loves his wife as much as the university professor loves his. And each person pulls for everyone else. The intensive care waiting room, in there, the world changes. Vanity and pretense vanish. The universe is focused on the doctor's next report. If only it will show improvement. 
Everyone knows that loving someone else is what life is all about. Perhaps we could learn to live like that if we only realized that every day of life, day in the waiting room. This time I'd like to ask the worship team to come up and close us with some special music as, and sing if you know the song. It's uh, fairly high, but I think they brought it down. And pay very close attention to the words of this song, because if we really want to be like Jesus, then this should be our song. Father, help us to live like that. Help us to uh, always have you as on our minds, Lord, as, as well as in our hearts, Lord, to, to want to be like Jesus, Lord, to want to love others. And only you can help us love others, Lord. By ourselves, we're not capable. We're only capable of feelings, feelings of love. But true love, agape, comes from you. Father, we're so thankful that, that you have uh, given us your Son for salvation. Lord, we're thankful that you loved us so much, even when we were enemies, that you saved us. Lord, we ask you for, we ask you for your blessings as we, as we uh, continue on to the, uh, uh, to the hall for, for refreshments and food. Lord, and we ask you to be with us the rest of this day and week and have the Holy Spirit constantly remind us that you are with us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.